Amen, amen. Please be seated. Church, we are really blessed to have Reverend Neil Bernard coming to share God's Word with us this morning. We're working him hard, speaking today and then on Wednesday as well. He was doing some training yesterday, Easter weekend. He's heading up to Mariba to speak at an Easter, Atherton to speak at an Easter convention up there. Can we make Neil feel really, really welcome as he comes to share with us this morning? After all this speaking, I've decided the Tuesday after Easter, I'm not speaking to anybody, not a soul, right? <laughs> Scripture reading is Matthew 22 in preparation for Easter. Matthew 22, verses 15 to 46. Matthew 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, whose head is this and whose title? They answered, the emperor's. Then he said to them, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed and they left him and went away. The same day some Sadducees came to him saying, there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies childless, his brother shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died childless, leaving the widow to his brother. The second did the same, so also the third, down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman herself died. In the resurrection then, whose wife of the seven will she be? For all of them had married her. Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you neither know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is God not of the dead, but of the living. When the crowd heard it, they were astounded at his teaching. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Tests. I wondered, what's the point of tests? Students, participants don't like sitting them. Teachers and assessors don't like marking them. I just decide, right? We should have no more tests. 
<laughs> I'm still, still have nightmares after all these years. I still have nightmares of thinking to myself in the middle of my sleep that I haven't studied for a test that's coming up tomorrow. And then you know, maybe you've had a similar experience. You, you wake up and there's such a relief. Oh, I don't have a test tomorrow. It wasn't a dream, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Peter might have been in the class, I'm not sure, but in the Old Testament, when we were at theological college, the questions were set by the Australian College of Theology from Sydney. And so what we would do as students and as a class, just prior to the exam, is we would look at past exams to see if there was a pattern. Oh yes, they asked this question every second year. Oh, we know what's gonna be in the exam this year. Or they asked this passage last year, right? So it's not gonna be that passage this year. And I thought this is the funniest thing at theological college. So Stan Nickerson, I know some of you know Stan, he was at the front of the class and he was doing the same, right? So we had the past exam questions in front of us. And as we're all looking, he said, oh, it's a bit difficult, isn't it? It's a bit like picking the winner on Saturday, race five, Eagle Farm. And I thought at Theological College, that's the funniest statement to make. But if you know Stan, that's his humour. Testing's right throughout scripture. It's not something that I realised until I was preparing for this morning. Some people say that Genesis chapter three is a test, but actually it's not. It's a prohibition. When God said to Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't a test. God wasn't thinking, are they going to do it? Are they not going to do it? No, God said, don't do it, don't do it. It's like the Queensland government saying to us, right? Don't touch your phone while you're driving. That's not a test, right? That's a prohibition, don't do it. So Genesis chapter three really isn't a test, it's a prohibition, but there are many other tests. The Lord the Lord tests people. Psalm 11, verse 5. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. Some people ask to be tested. Psalm 26, verse 2. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Some people are confident when they've gone through the test, they'll be proven that they've been successful. Psalm 17, verse three, you have tried my heart, you have visited me by night, you have tested me and you find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. Of course, we know, don't we, that the Lord tested the Israelites in the wilderness. Exodus 16, verse four, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Deuteronomy 8 verses two and three. You shall remember all the way the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. People were told not to put the Lord to the test. Deuteronomy 6, 16, 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus repeated these words in Matthew 4, 7, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus tested his disciples. John 6, 
Verses 5 and 6, Jesus lifting up his eyes, seeing a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Of course, we know the story of Job, don't we? That Satan came to God wanting to test Job to see whether he truly was a righteous man. But we're involved. We're involved in the testing also. 1 John 4, 1, we are to test the spirits. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. In fact, we are to test everything. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good. Did you know Jesus was put to the test? Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that past Palm Sunday coincided with the setting aside of the Passover lambs in preparation for the feast of the Passover. For four days, the families that had a lamb or needed to purchase a lamb inspected the lamb to see whether there was any blemish or any spot on the lamb. And if there was, that lamb could not be sacrificed. They had to put it aside and go and purchase and not purchase another lamb. Each lamb to be sacrificed must be spotless. Well, if Jesus was to prove to be the Lamb of God, then he also needed to be tested. And Jesus, on four occasions, over four days, was put to the test, sometimes by a specific group, sometimes by a combination of groups. The purpose of this testing was twofold. First of all, It was to incite the people against Jesus. The religious leaders were reluctant to arrest Jesus because of his popularity with the people. But if the religious leaders could get the crowds to turn against Jesus, well, great, this is good, we've got him. Secondly, their hope was that they might charge Jesus with breaking a law, in particular the Roman law, Well, we didn't read this section of scripture, but the very first test that Jesus underwent is found in Matthew 21, 23. A combined group of public elders and of of group of priests and elders, sorry, went to question Jesus and his authority. Jesus was teaching in a public setting. This is an opportune time to discredit him publicly. So the priests and elders confronted Jesus and inquired, by what authority did he have to teach and to teach in public? For it was said that someone who taught could only teach what had been taught to him by his teacher. So who was Jesus' teacher? Jesus put put it back on them. And he asked them this question, the baptism of John, was it from heaven or men? Well, the chief priests and the elders, now they're caught in a dilemma. For John was considered by the people to be a true prophet. If John was baptising merely on human authority, then this would upset the crowd. Yet if John was baptising with authority from heaven, then Jesus could state that he had the authority to teach because he had been baptised by John. 
They were trapped. Matthew 21, 27, they said to Jesus, we do not know. And I love Jesus' reply. Well, I'm not telling you by what authority I have to teach. Isn't that great? That is so good, so good. Well, that's the first of the four tests. In the passage that we've had read this morning, I've read this morning, you're going to look at the following tests, the following tests, and see that on every occasion, the religious leaders were left speechless at Jesus' response. The second test, the second test came from a different group of people, this time the Pharisees and Herodians. And I've titled this Religion Without Surrender to Christ. Religion Without Surrender to Christ. Now, usually the Pharisees and Herodians, they were against each other. The Pharisees totally opposed Roman rule, but the Herodians, on the other hand, they loved the Romans. It had been the Romans who had put Herod in charge. See the name, Herodians. So they loved Herod. So here these two are opposing groups and they joined forces with one, one aim. They were both antagonistic toward Jesus. The Pharisees had no regard for Jesus because he wasn't the Messiah they wanted. They wanted a Messiah who would come in set himself up as king in Jerusalem and not be ruled by anybody else, the country not be ruled by anybody else and Israel be the great nation again. So the Herodians were pro-Roman. They opposed Jesus because of his threat. He was seen as a threat to Caesar. Now these two groups had previously formed an alliance. We read in Mark 12, 13, the Pharisees and the Herodians came together to entrap Jesus. So they had form, they had history. Their aim was to provoke Jesus into doing or saying something that he could be charged with inciting the crowd, going against Rome and against Roman law. As you saw, right, the first thing that they use is flattery. Oh, teacher, we know you are sincere. We know you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You show no deference to anyone, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? It's a simple question, isn't it? But it's a trick question. If Jesus gave a positive answer, it is lawful to pay taxes to the emperor, the crowd would get angry. They opposed Roman rule. If Jesus gave the negative answer, it is not lawful to pay taxes to the emperor, then he could be charged with inciting the people against Rome. The law of Moses states that there was not to be any material representations of the natural and supernatural worlds for the purpose of worshipping the image or bowing down to it. The Pharisees, they believed that giving a tribute to Caesar was an acceptance of him as king and a denial of Jehovah as king. But they had to do it, so they did it begrudgingly. 
Jesus is in a tricky situation here. Either way he answers, he's going to get in trouble with somebody. Either have the crowds turn against him, be charged with inciting the people against Rome. What's his response? Remember it says he knew his attackers were out to entrap him. So he asks for a coin. Not any Jewish coin, not a shekel that was used to pay the temple tax due at this Passover time, but a Roman coin, a tribute coin with the image of Caesar on it. Jews would not normally carry this coin with them because it had the image of Caesar on it. They would only carry this coin when they needed to pay the tax to Rome. And Jesus asked the question, whose head? Whose head is on this and whose title is on this coin? This coin could not be used for the temple tax, only being returned to Rome. Jesus said, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. Jesus was saying here that there exists two authorities. There is the divine authority exercised by God and which is God's and so must be returned back to God. But there's also the Roman government. That also exists. And Caesar ran the human government. So paying taxes to Caesar did not nullify or reject God. Hmm. The disciples of the Pharisees and Herodians could not bring any accusation against Jesus on any religious or political ground. Chapter 22, verse 22, they left and went away. This is religion without surrender to Christ. It's possible. It's possible to be a religious person but never having surrendered your life to Christ. I ran Christianity Explained classes and a young man came to me one day. He said, Neil, I want to come to your class. I said, but you're already a Christian. He said, yeah, but I want to teach the classes myself. He said, I want to see how you teach them and then I'll be able to teach Christianity Explained also. So he sat in the class. And I think it's about session number three where it talks about the grace of God. We have been saved by grace through faith. When the others had left the room, there he was standing in front of me with tears running down his eyes. He said, I thought I was a Christian, but I'd never given my life to Christ. I want to do that now. And he and I prayed together. It's possible to think you are saved, but you've never given your life to Christ. The second the second group, but the third testing, occurs in Matthew 22, 23 to 33. And I've entitled this Religion Without a Future with Christ. Religion Without a Future with Christ. This occurred on the same day as the previous testing that we've just looked at, but this time it's by the Sadducees. Sadducees were a group from very rich families. They interpreted the Mosaic law literally, but they only held to the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All the other writings in the Old Testament are just used to illustrate what Moses has written in those first five books. 
And since there is no mention of the afterlife in those first five books, then when we die, that's it. There's nothing else. So they come to Jesus, this group that's scrupulous in upholding the sacrificial system, temple traditions, great supporters of Rome, because they understood that their wealth had come in some part from Rome. And if, if we're going to stir up the Romans, then we might lose all our money. So they loved the Romans being in power. While that second attack we've just looked at was political, this was a question theological. The man died having no children. The man's brother married his wife and they had no children. Wife married another brother and they had no children. This happened seven times. To whom is she married in heaven? Now the Sadducees had a reputation for asking the Pharisees tricky questions. Now they put one on to Jesus. A woman has been married seven times, seven brothers, each time no child. To whom is she married in heaven? Remembering, right, they don't believe in a heaven. This was clearly an attempt to discredit the belief of the resurrection by appealing to Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6, which said this, if a married man dies childless, then one of his brothers was to take his former wife, the first one, to be his wife, and the heir of that relationship or the son born of that relationship would actually inherit everything from his dead uncle. So therefore, there is some recognition of a previous relationship between this woman and the dead husband. But what if she marries seven brothers and there are no children? To whom is she married to in heaven? Remember the Sadducees, they've come with two, assumed two things. First of all, that life here on earth is going to be the same in the afterlife. Secondly, a couple will be married in the afterlife, but married to only one person. They thought they had Jesus' core. And Jesus pointed out two problems with their understanding. They had no knowledge of the scriptures and they did not know the power of God. For Jesus told them that in the afterlife it will be a new life. There will be no need to marry in heaven. Not necessary. Won't have children in heaven. The widow, in fact, will be like the angels in heaven, not married to anyone. Now, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in angels or demons. Jesus says that in heaven we do not marry or have children. This is the bit that I like. Jesus could use, have used a number of scriptures from the Old Testament to answer them. But he uses a piece of scripture from the first five books of the Old Testament. Remember, they're the books that they hold sacred. So Jesus appeals to that part of scripture. That's brilliant, brilliant on Jesus' part. And Jesus refers to the Abrahamic covenant where he says this, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of, G of Jacob, but Jesus does something different. 
He uses the present tense. Not God was the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but God is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Jesus is saying, potentially, these three men are still alive now. Well, of course, the Sadducees would have rejected that. But the multitudes, the crowd, Matthew 22, 33, they're astonished at his teaching. We've never heard anything like this. This is great. The Pharisees, they're also impressed. Luke 20, 39, they respond, teacher, what you have said, you have said well. We got more ammunition against those Sadducees. (laughs) You know, it's possible to be religious but to have no future with Christ. When I was at the Bible school, I would put myself down for the first week of teaching in every semester. And that first week of teaching always was the gospel. The gospel. You would think that students coming to a Bible school, they'd all be Christians. No, it's not the case. In fact, out of 40, 50, 60 students every semester, I'd say invariably every semester, we'd have one or two students who would come thinking they were saved, they heard the gospel and realised that they weren't saved. And it would occur in about week two or week three that I'd hear from other staff members, oh, Neil, Neil, Brian became a Christian yesterday here at Bible School. Neil, Laura became a Christian yesterday here at Bible school. You assume, don't you? Everybody comes to Bible school as a Christian. No, 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 no. It's possible to be religious, but to have no future with Christ. The next portion of scripture I've titled religion without a love for Christ. Without a love for Christ. Now this is the fourth test, right? We looked at three, here's number four. The second test was political, the third was theological, and this one too, this one too is theological from the Pharisees. A lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks the question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law, in the law? And Jesus' response is this, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Every Jew in Jesus' day would recite that verse first thing when they woke up in the morning, last thing when they went to sleep at night, and just before they died. They knew that verse. To love God and to love one's neighbour, Jesus says, summarises all the teaching of the law and the prophets. For in loving God, we keep his commandments. That deals with our relationship with God. In loving others, we care for others, we look after others. That shows our relationship with others. Mark chapter 12, verse 32 and 33 says the lawyer was impressed with Jesus' answer, complimented him. It's possible to be religious but to have no love for the Lord Jesus. You have friends, family, so do I. Good people, really good people. (laughs) Way more good works than I ever do. But they have no love for Jesus. 
Let's pray. Pray that God brings them into his kingdom and that they love the Lord Jesus. Lastly, the rest of Scripture, 22, 41 to 46, I've titled Religion Without Commitment to Christ. Religion Without Commitment to Christ. Jesus now, the Lamb of God, had been tested four times. And Jesus now puts it back onto the Pharisees. And he asks them a question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? Well, they answered correctly, the son of David. Repeatedly, the Old Testament prophecies had declared that the Messiah will be the son of David. Jesus follows it up with another question. How then is it that David by the Spirit calls him Lord? This question is based on Psalm 110 verse 1. Now we know, right? A father has a son. A father never says to the son, you are my Lord. It works the other way. But Jesus asks them, how is it possible then David says by the Spirit, calling him Lord? Well, the miss, missing doctrine in their understanding was the incarnation. Jesus is the God-man, God-man. So in his humanity, Jesus, yes, son of David, follow his lineage back to David, King David. Jesus in his deity, deity is Lord over David. Well, with this final question, Jesus, the Lamb of God, having been tested four times, proved to be spotless without blemish. Every attempt the religious leaders made to discredit him had failed, either to the Roman authorities or to the Jewish crowds. From this time on, until the arrest of Jesus in the garden, he would spend the time with his disciples and a few other believers. I started this message talking about tests, the tests. But there's one I purposely left out. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, test yourselves. That says we are to test ourselves. If you are in the faith, examine yourselves, says Paul. Or do you not recognise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Now, Paul doesn't tell us how we test ourselves to determine whether Christ is in us or not. Ask the question, is is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I thought the other way, the other way to test ourselves of whether Christ is in us or not is to ask ourselves four questions from the four headings we've looked at this morning. Can you answer these in the affirmative? I have surrendered my life to Christ. I am confident I have a future with Christ. I love the Lord Jesus. I am committed to him.
we pray. Jesus, in particular this week, as we reflect and think of the enormous love, Lord, you have for us, the suffering that endured for one purpose only, that we might be saved. We might come into your kingdom, become a child and daughter of the King. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were tested and found to be spotless without blemish. What a saviour, what a saviour. Lord, any here this morning, any here this morning who cannot answer those four questions in the affirmative, by your Holy Spirit, draw them to you. May today be their day of salvation. May they be able to leave this place this morning and say, I've surrendered my life to Christ. I'm confident of the future I will have with him. I love the Lord Jesus. And I am committed to him. May it be so, Lord. Amen. You've been hearing that word and you know in your heart you don't have that assurance. You don't have that confidence that yes, you are in Christ. The confidence of eternity with him this morning well the way to find that as neil shared this morning is the knowledge that jesus is the perfect one he has passed every test we we fall short but he is perfect to understand his grace just like that young guy in that christian explained course those years ago the same grace of god brings us this assurances because of jesus our faith and trust is in him not in our in our own good works, our own life. And you can know that this morning. What a time to know that assurance of salvation, to know that Jesus has done it all for us at Easter time. I couldn't think of a better time to do that. So I want to encourage this morning, if you don't yet have that assurance, that that um, real deep awareness that yes, you are in Christ, that you belong to him this morning. Well, we want to encourage you to come and share with someone this morning. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to help you on that journey so you can come to that place of assurance and so we want to sing about this as well this morning god's incredible heart his love his sacrifice for us so let's stand together as we do that to respond in worship and ask him just to continue to move in our hearts at this time let's stand together as we worship him
Lord, we thank You this morning for this incredible truth that we can know with assurance, with complete confidence that our salvation is secure because You've done it all for us, Lord God. You were the perfect spotless Lamb. Your sacrifice was enough. Thank You that we can have this assurance deep within our heart. You assure us by Your Holy Spirit, Lord, Your love, that we are children of You, great God. And I wanna pray this morning. Perhaps there are some here this morning who don't yet know that in their heart. They haven't experienced that moment of confidence and assurance in You. Well, I wanna pray this morning that, that would, this would be that day for them, Lord, where they would know this. They would know that salvation is found in You and in You alone, that You are the way, the truth and the life that we can only come through You, Lord Jesus. But as we come to You, as we experience Your grace and Your forgiveness, Lord, You give us the gift of Your Spirit that we can know with certainty that, that we have eternal life in You and it starts right now, right here, today. And so, Lord, I pray by Your Spirit, just draw people to Yourself, even this morning, Lord, I pray. And over this Easter week, Lord, may, many, may there be many stories of people coming to say yes to You, Jesus. Surrendering, Lord, not looking to ourselves anymore, but looking to You, Jesus, and You alone and Your righteousness for us. And so we thank You for this good news, Lord. Just bless each and every heart this week, I do pray. Bless those Easter services as we proclaim this good news, the best news in all the world. Thank You for Your grace and Your love. And so, Lord, we surrender afresh to You now in response to this good news, Lord. We how could we not, Lord, but just want to give You everything? And so we do that afresh now and we pray Your blessing in Jesus' Name. Amen. Please be seated. If you're here this morning and you want to know more about that assurance, do come and talk to us. We'd love to encourage you and help you on that journey. Don't forget our welcome morning tea is on. If you're new to Bridgman, do hang around just straight across the courtyard there, our Connections Lounge. And the letterbox drops are going to be in that for you. If you can help us spread the word about Easter, that would be a blessing. But God bless you. Look forward to sharing with you again soon.